I want to transition us this morning and just prepare our hearts in a manner for what we're doing later, which is we're going to follow in obedience to the Lord's words that we're going to do something this morning in remembrance of him. And I want to transition us and prepare our hearts for the next few with him for this time where we come to him with him and fellowship with him. Out of Luke 24, the rendition that, that's spoken in the, in the manner with which it was written, I liked this morning, and the Lord told me about a month ago that this is what we're going to be doing this morning. And so I just want to come out of that where the, you have... Uh, Jesus has died. All the disciples and the sorrow, and the, they watched him on the cross and all the sorrow, all the unknown. If you can put yourself in that place, they had just spent three years with him. They had heard him say amazing things about the future. But there were a few disturbing things that they really didn't lay hold of too deep. They just kind of like, well, I don't know what he means by that, but I love being with him. Well, the day came, probably those tragic things came. And I think that you could probably, maybe we can't, we could probably never understand how painful it was for them to see their Savior, the one who they knew as Messiah, that he would come and he would be king. And they still had thought up to that time that he would be king of Israel. But now he was lost. The Romans had killed him. On a cross. So he was laid in a burial tomb. And that Sunday morning, that first day of the week, a few of the women came to pay respects to the dead the lost, the one who had lost, the one who was now gone forever. He was their hope. They didn't know what to think or what to believe. And so when they get there, as you know, the story in the Word says that the stone was, had been moved. It had been rolled away, and they were perplexed. That's an interesting word in Luke, how he puts it. They were perplexed. What's going on? What happened? What's up? What's going on here? And they look in, and it says there were two men. And shining Raymond. They bowed, it says they bowed to the ground, their faces to the ground. And then the angel said this, one of them spoke. It said they both spake. I don't know if one of them said one sentence, another one said another. I don't know how that was, or they did it simultaneously. I don't know. But the angel says to the women, why do you seek among the dead? The living. Why do you seek among the dead the living? He is risen as he said. He told you he would. I want to spend a few minutes on that statement. Why do you come looking among the dead for the living? He was placed in us. Because we as a people, as a human race... 
Eternity was placed in us at creation. When Father and the Trinity spoke creation, Ecclesiastes tells us that eternity was placed in the hearts of men. So men have a desire always to seek. They're always looking. They're always looking. We are always seeking. If from the earliest time you can remember, you probably remember seeking, looking, thinking for the next thing. Trying to figure out what life's going to bring you. Always looking, always seeking, always wondering. We spend our lives seeking something. Seeking, finding, and coming into agreement with what we find. And what we decide as humans, we decide what's good for us. And then we make agreement with that. After that, I'm going to go, that's what I want out of life. I'm pulling that to me. I'm going to go after that. I'm going to go to school for it. I'm going to do this for it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. We line up our lives seeking to find and to find satisfaction in this life. Sadly, we usually seek the what and the where instead of the who. When we do that, we find ourselves in a place that's dangerous because that place is creation. We find ourselves seeking inside of this created place of amazement and we seek life. And we find, we find what brings us happiness. We find what brings settlements to us sometimes. We find, so we're satisfied. I like this life. But we find it in the creation and all the goodness that he brought us and all the amazement that he brought us in this world. And we find ourselves satisfied there. But he's not in the creation. He's revealed in the creation. He is announced in the creation. One of the words in the verse, the heavens declare his glory. The firmament reveals who he is. One of the words is it announces. It manifests him. It announces who he is. But the creation is not him. It's of him. The danger of seeking that what is that we find ourselves walking around in this life worshiping the creation. Worshiping what we've found that makes us makes our lives full at least that's what we think until somebody punches you in the face and knocks you on your back and then you find yourself that how am I going to get up because what I thought just brought me all this is not bringing me this life punches you <laughs> takes the wind out of you you find what you thought was there is not there. It's not going to pick you back up. It's not going to pat you on the back and breathe life back into you. 
See, this place that we choose because we're seeking and we're looking as humans and we choose something that we think this is going to bring us what we need and what we want. So we, we seek after it and we think we find it and then we come into agreement with it and we build upon it and find our securities there. Now, this all sounds pretty good because that's like, you know, we, most of us have lived this life I'm describing. We live there. We play there. Work there. We marry there. We work there. We worship there. And yet all this, all the, all the, the, the that which has given me happiness that I think is really there is all just based on what I can touch and feel, what my senses have touched. And I live there. The danger of marrying there is because when something comes in between you and her, all of a sudden, there's nothing to grab onto anymore because I was grabbing onto creation. I was trusting creation. Creation let me go. Creation didn't keep me where I wanted to be. I worship there. But when struggle comes into my life, I'm necessarily fulfilling. The worship that I thought I had was something is not necessarily fulfilling anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't lift me up in the middle of my struggle. And then I find I don't want to worship anymore. So I just leave worship. If I leave worship, that means I've basically left the only place I could have truly found my hope. And that's the aim of the enemy. Worship the creation. Don't look at your creator. Seeking the what is a dangerous place to live. Seeking the who is the only way. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way. There is no other way. There is no other road to travel that won't leave you out stranded somewhere in a desolate place. He is not the creation. He is the creator. See, we are created to worship. Man is created to worship. You and I are created to worship. Creation. But if we let ourselves get drug out into seeking the creation and all the things it offers, then we've missed. How sad is it to, to hug a tree and die for a tree when we could have the one who made the tree. Isn't that sad? That that's where this thing of worshiping and finding our hope in creation, it takes us there. And we miss out on the whole, the whole realm we could have if we had the one who created the tree. <laughs> then we can hug him. He hugs us. No matter how amazing and beautiful this creation is, it is still, this earth is his footstool. 
You got to find the perspective in this. <laughs> this this thing he has created is amazing. Think of that he created every page we see and know. It all has stemmed out of stuff that he created. Every bit of it, it comes out, and it's good for us. But that's where we have to understand the perspective. It's good for us, but it's not our object of worship. It's not what's going to bring the satisfaction to the soul. And every human being was created looking and searching for life, real life, abundant life, zoe life. You get into the Greek and look at that. That's what our hearts yearn for. That's why we're always seeking. That's why we're always searching and looking for something. We're looking for that life that'll bring satisfaction, that'll bring hope. See, Matthew 6.33 says it very clear. Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added to you. He's not trying to keep you away from what he created to let you enjoy yourself, but he doesn't want you to get caught up in where you worship it and lose touch with life. Because you will lose touch with life if you trust and believe on the creation. It will leave you. It will drop you. It's not created to support you. Creation was never, all that he ever created was never put there to support you and hold you up. It was there as just an assistance to your life and an enjoyment to your life. He says, enjoy it. But enjoy it from your, your walk with me. Enjoy it from your relationship with me. Now let's go on. Sadly, if we try to do it the other way and not with him, but we try to live it through creation, the sad thing with that is that it never stops. The seeking never stops. That you'll never find. And that's a that's an empty, that's an empty vacuum that you'll never find an end to. If you're seeking to find the life you desire in creation. People are destroyed every day seeking their satisfaction in creation. They're destroyed every day. When seeking the who, we will find satisfaction because we'll find that life we were created to have. The angels didn't stop there and say, why do you seek among the dead? He said, the one you're seeking for is risen. That's the life you're looking for, Mary. Don't look among the dead bones. Don't look around things that can't create life in you. The one you're seeking is risen. She went away excited. Strangely enough, she runs back and tells the rest of them this is what she's seen, and it says they just kind of acted like she was telling them fairy tales, this kind of stuff. Said Peter. Peter got up and said, wait a minute, something's up. They wouldn't just say this kind of stuff. And he went to see for himself and came back and told them. He is resurrected. 
That's what we, the created beings, are looking for. We're yearning for is resurrection life. To gain that life, it only comes through one way. There's going to be an evangelical message. <laughs> That's what this is. There is only one way to find the life you're looking for. Sadly enough, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people are sitting in churches this morning that have yet to really understand and find the true life. They're still enjoying the creation. And they may even be giving him thanks for it. But without a personal knowing and an understanding and a relationship with him, they don't really ever have abundant life. They're just as a human around it looking for it. You hear me? We, we as a human race can even thank God what we perceive as God. We can thank him for this creation. But he has asked us to come into a personal relationship with him. And that's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If we try to bypass him to have life, we're sadly mistaken. Life that satisfies our soul. To know this salvation to life means we must follow him. Jesus died. We must die to our old lives. We've got to be able to surrender ourselves. And you know what that also means when I say surrender yourselves? That means we must surrender all that we have a have given and massed and great, we've amassed so many things out of this creation. We've got to be willing to surrender it all. I'm not telling you you have to go sell everything you have. You may have to for you to surrender. You may have to. I can't tell you that. But I do know you have to be willing to. You have to be willing to surrender it all for the sake of his life. He died and gave up all his glory. He came to earth and became man and gave up all his glory. See, he had to do that because God can't die. So he had to become a man. He had to give it all up so he could become a man so he could die. And be the firstborn among many. If you want to know his life, then you must die. Your old way must die goes in the ground. What did Jesus say? Unless something dies, it cannot come back with more life. So we must. And he was resurrected on the th surrender ourselves and our lives to him. And he was resurrected on the third day by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God. And that same Spirit, Janu said it earlier, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. If he was raised in resurrected life, then we must be raised in resurrected life. Without that, we don't know him. If we can't surrender ourselves to him and die to ourselves like he did and then trust Spirit of God to raise us up in fullness of life, we can't have that life. That's the only way we have this life.
Jesus said to those who will believe, they will pass from death to life. And they will not see the judgment. You don't believe I just said that. Go look at John 5, 24. It's exactly what it says. Those who believe will pass from life or death to life and will not shout and willing to laugh. Is that not something to be uh, extremely happy about and willing to lay hold and say, I will, I will die to myself today. I give it all up to you, Father, so that I can just know you. <laughs> the power of your resurrection. Hallelujah. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. This life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's all of it in a nutshell right there. That's, the, that's all of it. That's the crux of giving up your old life, receiving new life. That's it. That's it. This new life is a gift. We just must simply look, seek, and believe. And it's ours. Because the covenant he made, he made for us, but he's the one that made it. He made it, but he made it for us. You realize that. Most of you do, but you realize the covenant that he made, this was prophesied back hundreds and hundreds, thousand years before Christ even came. It was prophesied that a new covenant was coming, a new testament. We live in the New Testament age, for those of you who don't realize that. This is a new covenant age. It's the same thing. It was prophesied thousands of years ago that it was coming. He, as he did with Abraham and for Abraham and for his followers, God cut covenant. Remember, it says that Abraham, he put him to sleep because he knew Abraham wouldn't be able to keep his side of the covenant. So he put him to sleep. And it says that God came and walked through the sacrifice. He made covenant with Abraham. And now again with Jesus in this New Testament, he did it. Jesus did it. The father gave up his son so that his son could do it and would do it. And because he did do it, the new covenant is in place. What Hebrews says about a testament or a will is no good as long as the testator is alive. So for all those hundreds and thousands of years, that covenant that was prophesied was no good. Until the one, the only one, the only one who could satisfy a holy God did it. The new covenant became in place, official. I think I jumped way ahead of myself, but I can't help it. That's such, such awesome stuff. The only way we can mess it up is by rejecting his love. He first loved us so that we can respond in love to him. He did it all. The only way we can mess that up is to say no. It was just 
believe. Isn't that awesome that he would do it in such a manner that all we have to do is just believe. Just be persuaded by the truth. The truth is that he came for you. And he gave his life for you and for me. For us to receive this amazing gift of life. A couple of things had to happen. I just touched on it, but a couple of things had to, had to happen. First one was innocent blood had to be shed. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. You would still be dead in your sins. I would still be dead in my sins. Something had to happen. Blood had to be shed. But not the blood of goats and of bulls. Had to be innocent blood. Blood that wasn't tainted. Blood that knew no sin. Jesus, the only one who could do that. The second thing was that blood, the blood was offered. It says in Hebrews that Jesus, through his blood, that's important because some of the translations just say took his blood. But it's important to know that through his blood, he entered in to a place that was greater than this on earth, in the heavenlies. He took, it says, he through his blood. Because if you remember the priest, you remember the Levitical priests when they would go in to the Holy of Holies? And it's, you know, it was it's said that they had bells on the bottom of their robes and they would tie a rope, or a rope to their leg in case when they got in there, they were, it, the, what the sacrifice was, was not accepted, they would be killed instantly because the presence of God dwelt um, between the wings of the cherubim. That's where he spoke from. If the sacrifice was not accepted, they would die and they'd have to drag him out. Jesus, it says he, through his blood, entered into the holy place, a place better than this on earth, a place better than the temple here in the heavenlies. And it says that his blood, he became a propitiation. It satisfied Father because it was pure blood. Not of the blood of bulls and goats, but of his blood he went in became a propitiation for you. Literally, Jesus is the mercy seat. The blood was sprinkled. The Father looked at it, accepted it. This is good. Somewhere in there I can... Yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Hebrews 9, somewhere in there I can, I can find it quick because it's important to read. Hebrews 9. 11 and 12. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You hear what I say, sin. Daily, offering sacrifices of blood of bulls and goats that could never take away sin. But this man, <laughs> but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever 
those who are sanctified. Forever, those who are sanctified. Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after he has said this. This is a covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. That is what you are a part of now if you are a believer. That was fulfilled through Jesus. You are now a part of the New Testament because the one who was the testator died and was raised to life, made it official. And that his blood, it says he went in and forever, forever. And I love the word that is, and if you look it up, forever, eternal is a good word. But for some reason, that doesn't make sense to me as much as perpetual does. Because it says that he put his blood, it was satisfied by God, and he became a perpetual, a perpetual, a perpetual redeemer. On and on, your sins are forgiven. 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 Perpetual. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It doesn't just stop because of your sin. Because my sin was the worst one. He would never forgive me for that. I'm sorry to tell you he already did the forgiving. He already did the forgiving. So your sin, as great as it may have been or may be, cannot undo what he did. Forever. Perpetually. He is the Redeemer. His blood speaks louder. <laughs> that, is, that is so good. <laughs> that is so good. Woo. Ay, ay, ay. Mm -mm -mm. The New Testament was consecrated by Jesus and his blood. It became official because the blood satisfied for atonement. And that's what we've all been looking for all our lives, is to have all those things that, that weigh us down all the time to be atoned for. They're gone. I'm just here to tell you this morning, they're, they're gone. He remembers them no more. Perpetually. That's where I forgave from their back. But he comes up to a certain place, and right here, that's where I forgave from their back. But from here on, no. Perpetually means he is continually, 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 continually. How many Christians do you know? In fact, me. I'll talk to me. How many of us do we know that have got hung up through life, through this journey? We know we're born again. We know we love him. We know we'd never do the things that we have done to hurt him. Yet we do them. And what's it do to us? It paralyzes us. We get hung up right there because we don't really understand fully what the propitiation of his blood was. <laughs> he entered once. 
to see if he had to go back and pick up your, your horrible sin, that would mean that he would have to go back and do this all over again. The writer of Hebrews says, heaven forbid. How could you ever think that he would have to go back and suffer what he suffered? For you? Because this man offered perfect blood. For you to say he has to go back and do it because I don't think he could forgive my sin, you're saying his blood wasn't perfect. You're saying it didn't do the job the first time. <laughs> I can tell you he, his blood did the job the first time. Absolutely. And he perpetually redeems us. He is a redeemer. Ooh. It's official. It's in place. I want to read you something, then I want Matt to come. If you're ready, Matt. This is in Hebrews 10. This is a, this is a call out from me. Not really from me. I'm going to read it to you from the writer of Hebrews. But I want you to hear it. I want you to take it in deep. Because in a minute, the team's going to come. And Matt's going to talk a little bit and lead us in a time where we can follow Jesus in obedience. and Take the blood and take the bread in remembrance of him and what he did. All we're talking about, we want to do this as a community today. But let me read these four verses to your five verses. And I want you to take this in and I want you to start thinking like this. Verse 19 in chapter 10 of Hebrews, it said, Therefore, brethren, that's you. That's you. You are my brethren. For those who have believed, you are my brethren. Having boldness or assurance to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. You hear that? By a new and living way. This has nothing to do with old covenant. Nothing. He did not add to the old covenant. He did not try to make an addition. He didn't build a house and say, let's add an addition to it. We'll call this the new covenant, part of the old. No, it's not. It's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. Abundant life. A new and living way. Life is in it. Life, abundant. Life's in it, in this covenant. Which he comes, or consecrated for us. He made official for us. Through the veil, that is his flesh, having to be on the cross. And having a high priest. He is our high priest. And this is an exciting thing for me. I know some of you don't really care about some of this stuff, but I care. I love it. You realize that the Levitical priests had to go. They had to do what they did. They took their animals and they killed them and they sacrificed. They did their job. And that's all it could ever do. And the word just told us it could not take their sin away. But we have a new high priest who is not after the order of Levi. He is out of the line of the tribe of Judah. And where the priesthood changes, the law must change also. It tells you that in Hebrews 12, 7. Where there's a change of the priesthood, the law must change. And we're no longer, under, no longer under the law of sin and death. We're now under the law of righteousness and life. That's the law we're under. 
the law of liberty, freedom. You realize what he did through this ratifying of the covenant, what he did with his perfect blood, it made it all brand new. It brought life. It brought freedom. Paul talks about it constantly. You now have freedom, not to use it against the things that God would want you not to do, but you are free. You're no longer all under, you're not under these laws and rules. This thing is so huge and so big. We now have a high priest over the house of God. Notice he didn't say over the house of Levi. He said over the house of God. He is now the high priest over God's kingdom. Let us draw near. Let us approach with a true heart in full assurance. <laughs> entire, entire confidence. Let that sink in. Come near, draw near with an entire confidence that's full of confidence, knowing this is true. This happened. This is real. We now have a new covenant in this earth. And those who believe in it are saved eternally, perpetually, forever. He's, he's trying to get you to, to get a hold and say, I do believe this. And I'm going to change the way I walk every day because of this. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast. Let us possess and hold down the confession of our hope without wavering, not leaning from one side to the other, because he who promised this covenant is faithful. That's how he ends the statement. Because the one that made the promise of the covenant thousands of years ago, <laughs> he's trustworthy. So lay hold of this. Lay hold of the truth. That Jesus, the creator, made a way for us to lay hold of the life that's in him. Abundant life. Abundant life. A life free of sin. Free of sin. You say, well, I, but I do sin. Yeah, and Jesus is there. Taking that sin. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive it. And yes, gone. That's why it's, I, I say this now. But there were times in my life where I could not get over the hump. I just couldn't. But I'm here to tell you now. I know you can walk over the hump. That says, but, but you don't know what I did. You don't know what I've done. Fulfillment doesn't matter. His blood, his sacrifice, his fulfillment of covenant way supersedes anything you could ever possibly think of to do. And the greatest part of this is the deeper you follow into him and the more you lay hold and the more surrender you do to him and give yourself up and submit to him, the less you want to do any of that stuff. The less you want to because you, you start falling in love with him. And there are things that when you love somebody, there's things you won't do. Things you won't do if you love somebody. 
Come on, Matt. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's. Uh, let's do this in remembrance. Thank you, Pastor Dan. And thank you, CityGate family. It's good to see you. It's good to see butts and seats and everyone hanging out and being worshiping together. That's what we say. Sorry, I'm in academics. So when we're talking about delivering class remotely or globally over webcam or video, and when physically we call it butts and seats. So it's good to see everyone, and it's good to partake together. This morning, which is surprising to still say this morning, it's still late morning, we're going to partake together in the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, Holy Communion, Passover, if you will. And I feel so convicted more and more, month after month, year after year, that this should be a regular thing in the life of the believer. And we have what we call here open communion, where we set the elements out on either side of the stage, and everyone is welcome to come and partake in your own, on your own time, and your during worship or after the service or before the service, whatever have you. We we do that because we want to make it available to people. But I think there's something to intentionally partaking of the bread and the wine together. We have it behind me. We'll get this out of the way here in a moment, but I just want to share for a few minutes why it's so important. A few few scriptures and points to give is that we see communion listed as a central piece of the Christian worship in Acts 2.42. It says that they gathered and broke bread together. And as often as they gathered and worshiped and did the public reading of scripture, they also broke bread together. And perhaps the most striking reference to the frequency of the Lord's Supper occurs in Acts 20, verse seven, on the first day of the week, when had been their habit to get together. We were, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart the next day. So see that on the first day of the week, they would gather together and break bread. And then Paul on his way to Troas, he says this, on the first day of the week, this often, the meat, it says they broke bread. And so they're doing this often. They're not just doing it once a quarter, a couple times a year, once a month even, but, but they're doing it as often as they gather, they're breaking the bread. And they're remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus, at the Passover meal that happened on Thursday, traditionally, right? He has the meal with them. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. This comes from Luke 22. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then Paul, 
in 1 Corinthians when instructing the church about their worship gatherings and some of the problems that they were having says the same thing. He uses it as they journeyed together and he says, because he was close with Luke. Luke and Paul and Luke were close and as they journeyed together and Luke chronicled Paul's missionary trips and they were, they were quite close. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. I mean, it's just like Luke saying it. (laughs) Saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, like Dan was talking about. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I shared this on uh, on Facebook early this morning. I was writing last night. Growing up in a Christian home, I was I was often told if I was to place myself in the storyline of the crucifixion of Holy Week, I would be like the Roman drilled his the nails into his hands and feet, or that I would be like the crowd that cried in their ignorance, "Crucify him!" Or maybe I would be like Judas who betrayed him or Peter who denied him, or maybe I would be like the Jews that schemed against him behind his back. But several years ago, I was reading the story of the crucifixion, and there's one character in particular that stood out to me more than any other. His name is Barabbas. And the crowd said, give us Barabbas. And Jesus takes the place of Barabbas. Barabbas is set free, although completely guilty. What I discovered several years ago is that I am not the Roman driving the nails into the hands of Jesus. I am not the Jew who schemed. I'm not Judas who betrayed or Peter who denied or the crowd who said, crucify him. I am Barabbas who was guilty and charged and sentenced to death and hang on that tree. But Jesus took my place and he hung on that tree so that I could be set free. I am not the Jew or the Roman or the disciple even. I am Barabbas and he set us free and he traded places with us. The debt that we owed, he paid it in full. The death that we deserved, He took it upon him so that we could have life and life more abundantly, like Dan said. So come on. As you partake this morning of the bread and the wine, well, it's not wine, it's grape juice. We're going to keep it for the kids and everybody, okay? It's grape juice. But as you do this, remember... We're just a bunch of Barabbas. <laughs> and he said, all right, I'll swap places with you so that if he went away, we're free. And I don't know, I don't know the rest of the story of Barabbas. I don't know if he went away rejoicing or if he went away back into being a criminal, but I oftentimes see the same in myself, both and. 
And I hope that this morning as you remember that you get your heart in the right place. The scripture goes on. Paul talks about the condition that we're supposed to receive these elements. I want, I want you to reflect on that and your heart to be in a place where you understand and you know and you not you don't just believe it, you know it. Clay teaches this. You have to argue for something that you believe. But when you know something, you probably won't even walk across the room to disagree with somebody. You have to know of Christ's death and his resurrection. Don't just believe it. I'm telling you, yes. Is Matt telling you don't believe it? Yeah, don't just believe it. Know it. When you have an encounter with God, you go from believing he's real to knowing that he's real. You just know. You don't have to look at someone even weird when they disagree with you. You just know. So my prayer this morning is that you would know Christ and him crucified and that you would know Christ and him resurrected and lifted high and seated at the right hand of the Father, but alive in us by way of the Holy Spirit, communing with us day by day, hour by hour. Amen. I want to have Janu come up and pray over the elements. Here's what we're going to do. There's bread and there's juice. We do a little something called intinction. It's a fancy uh, orthodox way of saying you just take the bread and you dip it in the cup and then you partake of it. I I want to let you break the bread, okay? We're going to do that. Just let you break the bread. Um, So just handle it from, you know, the bottom side and just break a little piece off and then there's there should be plenty of it just great break off a little piece and dip it in no one has to Janu's going to say a blessing over this but no one has to anoint the supernatural about the elements in themselves supernatural about what's happening here except within us within our hearts there's nothing supernatural about the elements in themselves this is a representation is we're doing this in remembrance of Christ. And you know what? No one has to administer it to you. That's why we have it open and you can feel free to partake in it because you are a part of the new covenant in which God calls you a son and a daughter. So you can administer the elements yourself and we're gonna do that this morning. Just break a small piece off, dip it in the cup and then partake of it. And we'll be here to kind of, to to say, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood poured out for you. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can feel free to grab one of those little um, 0.5 cent communion, (laughs) little communion to go things. Okay, they're right behind it. And you can feel free to grab one of those and go back to your seat if you'd like to. Janu, pray over it for us. Come on, let's just rise up on our feet. Thank you, come on. As As a sign of honor, let's stand up and... Worship the Most High, the Son of God, who gave himself up for our trespasses. And he was for our justification to wake us up to the kings and priests that we are. Hallelujah. Come on, everyone just say, God, you're faithful. God, you're faithful, Lord. We thank you, O God, that you're faithful. You've been always faithful. You never forsaken us. You've always come through for us, O God. Thank you, Lord, for the broken body of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the shed blood of your son. Thank you, Father. I, I pray that your great blessing would be upon these elements as we partake of this. Oh, God, that the, your abundant life, the Zoe, would be infused into our, into our lives, oh, God. 
that we would realize the fullness of what you died for, O oh God, that we would come more and more in alignment with your plans, with your will, with your heart. Yes, Lord. Come on, angels. I pray for ministering angels to be around this place, to touch everyone standing here, that this would be a special resurrection season, that we would experience the manifest blessings of God through Christ Jesus, O oh God. Come on, guys, this is not a table of mourning. This is a table of victory. We are thanking God for the victory he's gained for us at the cross. So everyone, when you come, come over here, come with a grateful heart. Don't come with a mourning heart. He's not at the cross anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's given us victory. And that's what we are celebrating, that as you partake of the bread and the wine, you say, Lord, I thank you for the victory you gained. Victory over death, victory over sin, victory over every faulty consciousness. So come on, as Dan and Vicky, come on, as, uh, and uh, please form a line as you come forward and as we uh, partake of his body and his blood. Yeah, just feel free to come up as you feel led. Um, and you can, you, there can be a line here and there can be a line here going up that row. But just feel free to come as you're led. Natalie's going to minister to us in song. Yeah. 